0: I never
1: got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which something which has never been revealed to the public.
2: This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark not much snark, no belief, no debunking, no, I was married to them in our previous lives in outer space, is not a great reason to leave your partner. This is Encounter 58, Songs of Saturn. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the interesting, somewhat romantic, and a bit confusing story of Howard Menger and his otherworldly wife, Connie. Howard Menger's contact stories began with a 1956 appearance on the Long John Nebel Party Line show. This overnight radio talk show became a template for later paranormal-themed shows such as Coast to Coast AM and served as a venue for most of the major contactees of the 1950s and 60s, as well as the more conventional flying saucer figures such as the very boring Major Donald Kehoe and James Mosley, who was not boring at all. It is going to be worth taking an entire episode to look at Long John Neville uh, just on its own at some point. But that point is not today. So Howard Menger was born in 1922 in Brooklyn and as a kid moved with his family to Highbridge, New Jersey in the western part of the state. He joined the Army during World War II in 1942 at the age of 19. He returned to New Jersey after the war. And he started a business in which he painted signs, and he was married and had children, and to all appearances led a normal life until his 1956 radio appearance. He came on the air with fellow contactee George Van Tassel, whose story you can check out at saucerlife.com in the archives. It's Encounter 302 from back in December of 2017. So Menger, with Van Tassel there sort of to back him up, told the radio audience about a series of encounters with men and women from other planets which began when he was about ten. Now, as a listener pointed out in an email to me recently, there's a really interesting trend of contactees that came after George Adamski, or, sorry, George Adamski, claiming that their contact experiences actually took place before Adamski's 1952 encounter, each of them setting up a scenario where they can claim to be the first contactee. Truman Bethram, who we looked at way back near the beginning of the show, did this by about a year or so. But Menger's claims of childhood contact seem like a pretty solid effort to sort of, you know, undercut everybody with regard to age. So Menger makes his first appearance on Nebel's show in 1956. And for the next few years, he's telling the story on the radio show or telling, you know, numerous accounts on the radio show and at uh, George Van Tassel's Giant Rock Flying Saucer conventions. Menger also held meetings at his home in New Jersey, which, interestingly, he um, hosted one at one point where the photographs were taken by August Roberts of, supposedly, of Valiant Thor and his space crew. I think Don and Jill were with him, the very spacily named Don and Jill. So he's doing radio shows, he's doing Giant Rock, he's hosting meetings at his house, but he's not going to publish a book until 1959 when Gray Barker's saucerian books, and you knew Gray Barker was going to be along some way, right? Uh, Sausarian books released From Outer Space to You, Menger's first and really only full length contact ebook. And in this book, he detailed his story. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that what Menger does is he sort of inverts the usual, at least for the time, Pattern that contactees had of releasing a book going on the lecture circuit Publishing another book in some cases to refute the criticisms raised by the first book or raised by people about the first book rinse and repeat What this means is that from outer space to you is the culmination of his extraterrestrial contact saga rather than an attempt to make a first impression as such it presents Menger's story and ideas in a fairly complete manner right out of the gate, which is which is different than what we usually get. From Outer Space to You begins with Menger's childhood when he first began to encounter the Space Brothers and especially Space Sisters. For a 10-year-old boy, Howard Menger was remarkably perceptive. Describing his first encounter with the Space Sister, quote, the most exquisite woman, end quote, he had ever seen, he describes her in terms that certainly... Seemed to be from the perspective of a man older than 10. The warm sunlight caught the highlights of her long golden hair as it cascaded around her face and shoulders. The curves of her lovely body were delicately contoured, revealed through the translucent material of clothing, which reminded me of the habit of skiers. Even though very young, the feeling I received was unmistakable. It was a tremendous surge of warmth, love, and physical attraction, which emanated from her to me. She was about my mother's height, slender, lithe, with no exaggeration of voluptuous curves. As the couple talked, it became clear that Howard Menger was more than a simple ten-year-old boy from New Jersey, certainly in the sense of paying close attention to the delicately contoured curves of her lovely body. With words that would resonate throughout Menger's life, the woman told him the following. We are contacting our own. She spoke of a great change to take place in this country as well as the world. Wasteful wars, torture, and destruction would be brought on by misunderstandings of people. Now, according to Menger, this encounter took place in 1932. So the the events predicted here uh, could have been World War II. They could have been the Spanish Civil War, the Second Sino-Japanese War, any of those things. But honestly, I think he meant us to think... It, the space sister was predicting World War II. So here, Menger is sort of positioning himself as having had experiences which predate the dawn of the contactee phenomenon and, indeed, the flying saucer phenomenon itself. Adamski, Williamson, and others had well-established backgrounds and esoteric subjects and activities to support their stories and their their knowledge and their, their insight. So it's not surprising that Menger should attempt to create... A, a sort of base of knowledge of his own. Mentor's contacts uh, continued after his childhood as he entered the army in 42. As before, he encountered a beautiful space woman and has an instant attraction to her. She stood about five foot six, with the dark wavy hair falling over her shoulders and the tunic floating gracefully around the shapely contour of her body. I stopped in my tracks, staring at her in uncontrolled, Admiration. I was filled with awe and humility, but not without a strong physical attraction one finds impossible to allay when in the presence of these women. Howard Menger needed several showers, cold showers, ice cold showers. But seriously, though, well, not seriously, but you know, seriously, as we've seen from the story of Truman Bethram, the presence of beautiful space women was not unheard of. Menger's descriptions of these women move beyond Bethram's almost schoolboy-style crush that he had on Aura Reigns. Menger's narrative carries a much stronger sensual undertone than Bethram's. So Menger is off in battle in the Pacific Theater, fighting on the brutal island-hopping campaigns against the Japanese Empire. And as he's doing this, his encounters with the space people continued. In writing about these, Menger is able to take the usual concerns of contactees— War, peace, universal brotherhood, and so on, and place them in a pre-Cold War context, which is really pretty nifty. On Okinawa, site of some of the the, the most horrific fighting in the Pacific War, Menger had, had just barely scraped through a terrifying um, encounter episode with some enemy soldiers. He'd ended up having to kill three of them to survive. Menger was distraught, And soon afterward, he had another extraterrestrial encounter. This time, not with a shapely space sister, but with a space brother. Be calm and steady yourself, Howard. We have been spending a lot of time in conditioning you and preparing you for your work to come. We are contacting people all over the world. He said that something very shocking would occur soon, which would shake the world from its lethargy and raise it from the shadows of ignorance into the light of awareness and understanding, but this great event would not come without much misunderstanding, resentment, and hatred. Nevertheless, we can learn only through mistakes. Man must learn what he is, where he came from, and what his real purpose is here on this planet. He told me that I would be further enlightened as to my true mission, and as I listened, I inwardly felt I had begun to know what that purpose was. Not everyone comes into the realization of this, but the ones who have been contacted are aware of the true purpose of mankind. He moved as if he were rising, then paused. I have almost forgotten, Howard, that you are likely very curious about many things. More about us, for instance. You're free to ask, you know. Certain things we cannot reveal to you at this time, but I'll do my best to answer your questions. Relaxing a bit, I put to him some of the questions I was almost afraid to ask earlier. He was from the planet Venus, he replied to my most eager question. But how do you come here? In a ship. A ship unlike anything you have ever dreamed of. The force will be difficult and probably impossible for you to understand. It's an electromagnetic force, not unlike the force which holds planets, suns, and even entire galaxies in their orbits. This force is a natural law, which has been given to us by our infinite creator to be used for good purposes. But why have not our own scientists discovered this power? Ah, ah, but they have. Yet... They do not know how to apply it, if they did know. If they did know the secret, they probably would use it for destructive purposes. Until they are ready to utilize it for peaceful ends, our infinite creator will prevent their understanding it. We talked for what seemed to be but a short time. Later I realized it had been more than an hour. Finally he arose. We must end this discussion, and I will say goodbye to you, my friend. Will I see you again? No. No. "'No, no, I'm afraid I'm done with you, and I'm sorry, because I like you. "'But you will meet others who will continue this instruction. "'Your contacts will become more frequent back in the States. "'We have much work to do on your planet among your people, "'and we must do it quickly while there is still a planet and people to work with.' "'He turned to leave, then halted and addressed me once again. "'You will wonder what I meant by that last remark about danger to your planet.' Very shortly, you will know to what I referred. I left the area, somewhat confused and disturbed. I could not believe that conditions were so serious on our planet. A few days later, someone pressed a button and fiery hell fell down on Hiroshima. So, once again... We see Menger constructing his contactee narrative in such a way as to sort of get the jump on competing contactees. In this case, knowing about the horrors of atomic warfare before anyone else. So after the war, he comes back to the States and picks up his civilian life. The contacts continued, and one day, he once again met the woman he had first encountered when he was a boy in 1932. She told him that the space people would continue to be in contact with him, but he must not reveal anything until late in the summer of 1957, after which time he should use every available channel of communication to spread the space people's message of enlightenment and truth. Okay, just a quick break for some announcements. We'll be continuing with Contactees in our next couple of episodes. Next time, the subject will be George King and the Aetherius Society. We'll also, after that, be looking at Orfeo Angelucci. You can check out past episodes, including lots of contactees, read reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at saucerlife.com. Thank you so much to those of you who have thrown some currency at us over the last couple months. It has been greatly appreciated. You may follow us on Twitter. You may may follow us on Twitter, I give you permission, and Instagram at saucerlife, or email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Saucer Life wherever you find podcasts, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, I have no idea what Podbean even is, and so on. Now, back to Howard Menger. Okay, so at the same time, Menger was receiving contacts from extraterrestrials from venus he was also receiving musical transmissions and ideas from his friends that he would eventually release on lp or long playing record for those of you who don't know what lp stands for these um these regular those secret contacts, and Space Brother-possessed piano sessions continued through 1956 and into 1957, 58, 59. And here's an example of his music with a spoken introduction that kind of explains this. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's something.
1: You may now turn the record over and listen to the song from Saturn. As it is played by me while... My fingers are guided by this strange force. I have also been instructed to tell the people that those hearing this music would get a feeling, would reach an awareness. It would act as a mental assist to release something from their subconscious and they would react in their conscious state with understanding and spiritual love. each other for mankind on this planet earth and now you may listen to the song from saturn thank you
2: And that's how you lose half the audience in less than a minute and a half. Uh, it goes on like that for another 16 minutes or so. I was going to say it's a great album that belongs in every record collection, but I'm not going to say that because it's a lie. However, we here at Cheezo Media and The Saucer Life, which is the really the only thing Cheeseo Media produces, far from being the types of people to criticize without putting our money where our mouths are, present our version of Song of Saturn, complete with the words that were published with the music in a book we're going to discuss in a very short while. This is Song of Saturn, and here we go. Soulful, Soulful
0: love inspires ascension.
2: The song of Saturn inspires ascension. A song of Saturn filters through. This aural blue around me, at last, at last your arms have found me. And this is eternal, eternal bliss. We had way too much fun making that, and I'm not going to even apologize too much for it because um, I'm not going to. Uh, We had fun doing that. We probably will have no opportunity to do anything like that ever again, so we thought we'd take advantage of the fact that there was a Flying Saucer song that had been printed with music and words in a book that I had access to and that I had my people who were willing to um, semi-anonymously put themselves on the record in order to make this massive, massive hit, if anything else. Um, I've provided all of you with an exact moment to point to where this show just jumps the shark and starts going downhill. So let's let's move on. Let's move on from the song. The song was great, but there's more to look at. So October, 1956. Howard Menger meets George Van Tassel, and as a result of their meeting and subsequent appearance on Long John Nebel's radio show, Menger's story breaks a bit earlier than the space people recommended. There is no mention of whether or not really this, um, you know, had a negative effect, but Menger made a number of public appearances and, as I said before, lectured privately in his home. And it was at one of these meetings that he met a woman he called Marla. Her name in real life was Connie Weber. And Marla, to his shock, um, when he met her, he felt an enormous and initially inexplicable pull and attraction towards the woman. Mencher's conclusion was that they had known each other in previous incarnations and and he explains in, in his book that all humans can see into their past lives if they get past the memory blocks that exists. Menger asserts, quote, All of us have past lives. Some have expressed themselves on this planet in other bodies, other locations, but none of us originated on Earth. Thus life is an endless variety of continual growth. End quote. It was in a previous life that Menger and Connie knew each other. Menger related that in June 1946, 10 years earlier, a space sister, now pay attention, this gets a little confusing, a space sister had told him that he would meet her sister from Venus, who had incarnated into the body of a New Jersey woman, and that this sister would, quote, work with him for the rest of his life. Menger assumed it would be an older woman who would assist him with his lectures, because as he said, quote, "...a younger woman would conflict with my marital state." End quote. I, I, got, I got nothing to respond to that with. Uh, the description of their relationship's history is a bit lengthy, but interesting. Since I had first looked at her, my memory veil had been lifting. I knew I had known her before and had loved her, and that we were meant to be one. While this was a happy revelation, it was also tragic, for I was already married... I was in a state of confusion, divided between fond anticipation and sorrowful foreboding of what would occur in my family life. But after the first meeting, Marla and I were irresistibly drawn to each other, and though both of us tried to fight off the predicted outcome, we were caught up in the overwhelming remembrance of a long-ago promise to each other. I do not remember all my life as a Saturnian, but I remember being part of a family with parents, brothers and sisters. I was a spiritual teacher who instructed the young. I had at my disposal a spacecraft which I used for traveling to different planets for the purpose of both teaching and gaining knowledge. I taught many subjects including the positive use of telepathic projection and the study of God's universal laws. As such a teacher I was known as one of the sons of Naro, Sol Donaro, a teacher of light who came from a region close to the sun which was called which is called Naro. On one of my trips to Sol, Donero, I stopped off on Venus, and it was there I met Marla for the first time. Tall, lithe, with long, blonde, wavy hair cascading around her shoulders, Marla, with her gold-green eyes, presented a picture far more beautiful than a storybook princess. We fell in love at once. As a Saturnian, I was very tall, much broader than I am now, yet there is a similarity in appearance. That is why this Earth body was chosen. And not only is there a similarity, but sometimes I actually do become the Saturnian in height, size, and powers. Our love on Venus was intense and overpowering, but it was fated we should not stay together, since I knew I must travel to Earth and complete a mission which had been outlined from the day of my birth on that planet. I remember clearly now the day I left her. Both of us pretended to be very brave about it. Marla made little jokes and tried to laugh musically. But she found it hard to choke back the tears which crept into her laughter as i turned to look upon her for the last time i made a promise to her someday somewhere i would find her again menger also told the story of how he came to be reborn into the body of an earthling when i arrived at the portals of earth a one-year-old boy by the name of howard menger had just died the dead body was rushed to a lutheran church to be baptized and prayed over I, soul Donaro, watched and communicated with the soul leaving the little body. By consent and free will and mutual agreement, I then entered the body. While the relatives prayed, the little boy miraculously came back to life. It seems strange, but I can remember the consciousness of the original soul and parts of its past which was already impressed on the subconscious of the infant as soul record, as well as the partial recall of the Sol soul Donaro soul as soul donaro i can vaguely remember being inside a craft as it hovered in the earth's atmosphere then losing the sense of my surroundings and becoming as light as this blob of light i entered the earth body as my memory of the soul Sol donaro became more pronounced through the contacts with extraterrestrials i began to operate less on the original subconscious record of the original soul and more and more on the saturnian Basically, alien light blob invades dying boy and takes over his soul. That's really what I get from this. Although, yeah, no snark. I know, no snark, right? Marla addressed her romance with Howard in her own book, My Saturnian Lover, which somewhat oddly, although I think there's a little thing going on here, beat Menger's From Outer Space to You to the market by about a year. So, she, writing as Marla Baxter... Um, produces this book which tells her story then Menger produces his book afterwards and they they seem to corroborate each other um, the degree to which Menger had a role in writing Marla's book I I do not know I assume there was some degree of collaboration so this is this is Marla Baxter she's writing as Marla Baxter but she is really Connie Weber. But writing as Marla Baxter, she presents a fictionalized version, or a true account of the extraterrestrial version, of the romance between her and Menger, who is named as Alan, spelled A-L-Y-N in the book. This book is really pretty unspectacular, but there's some great stuff in the chapter entitled Saturnians Are Wonderful Lovers, where Marla explains some fundamentals about quote, the physical expression of love.
0: The physical expression of love is not primarily a biological urge to reproduce. On the contrary, it is the subtle blending of the male-female essences, which are contributory to a good health and happiness. We here on Earth, Alan often explained to me, know so little about the wonderful interchange of chemical and spiritual essences that take place when love is expressed through sex.
2: I'm really hoping that I don't have to put an explicit tag on this podcast for mentioning the chemical and spiritual essences that are exchanged or interchanged through sex. Hopefully the word sex itself doesn't uh, get me flagged as being explicit. So there's some spiritual stuff going on. There's also some, you know, ickly sort of biological stuff going on. She also recounts some of the advice about sort of romance that Alan or Menger imparted to her. A good many wives, given the opportunity to express their womanhood fully, would be warm, affectionate, passionate sweethearts to their mates rather than the nagging, frigid, fault-finding creatures they seem to be, which is precipitated by the various acts of sexual rudeness inflicted by their husbands. Too much has been said about the wife not participating wholeheartedly and with abandon in the physical act of love, and not enough has been said about the approach and, what's more to the point, the complete lack of it, wherein the woman is invited, gently persuaded, and finally mesmerized into the ecstatic abandon of complete physical expression. If this is seduction, then let's have more of it. Alan of Saturn, ladies and gentlemen, only slightly predatory sounding. So when Marla slash Connie is relating Alan slash Menger talking about nagging, frigid, fault-finding creatures, it's difficult to imagine that she's not talking about the woman Menger was still actually married to while all this was going on. As he became more Saturnian, and as we know from his book, he physically became Saturnian, apparently, Menger's earthly marriage to his wife, Rose Menger, manifested, quote, differences in mental and spiritual makeup as his contacts grew more frequent. Eventually, the couple divorced, and Menger would marry Marla slash Connie, and they would remain married until Howard's death in 2009. This is another exchange from the book, and it starts off with... Connie, um, or Marla, depending on how you prefer to think of her, reflecting on where her relationship with Alan slash Howard was going.
0: And so began a most wonderful, strange, exciting love affair with a man from Saturn. When we were alone, Alan became himself, an entirely different personality from the one he presented to the public.
2: What's interesting about this is that in his book that would be published a year later, Menger talked about how his wife Rose was pointing out to him somewhat, you know, distressedly that ever since he had begun getting into this flying saucer thing, that he had changed, that his personality was different. So this is another way that we see these books from Howard on the one hand and Connie on the other, or Alan and... Marla, if you prefer, the way these two books sort of dovetail together despite coming out a year apart from each other. And although things were mostly, you know, sunshine and roses for these two, there were some odd exchanges in the book as well, such as this one that occurred one night. Marla, you're making wonderful progress emotionally. I had occasion to study your emotional chart recently and there is a vast improvement.
0: What in the world is an emotional chart, and where did you see it?
2: There's a Saturnian base about 150 miles from here, deep in the mountains of Pennsylvania. I make periodic trips there. In one of these mountains is a huge cavern that is used as an underground base for our craft and machines. It was there that I saw your emotional chart. It's a flat square, about a quarter of an inch thick, made of a plastic-like material, although it is not plastic. Across the face of this square chart... A series of various colored globes of light appear when it is connected to the machines, and this indicates the emotional state of an individual. The colors of your emotional chart were all soft pastels, Marla, a great improvement over what was indicated a few months ago. So to summarize, Howard and Connie had been lovers in a previous life when she was from Venus and he was from Saturn. They rediscover this love here on Earth and leave their respective spouses to consummate or reconsummate their love. We've seen Howard's version of this and Connie also talks about it in her book, um, My Saturnian Lover, and she describes the, the sad departure of Alan from her life. Now, this is told as a story that Alan is telling about his previous life, so it's actually... It's actually kind of hard to keep track of who the narrator actually is at any given point in here. But I think this will make sense to you. As long as you remember the following thing, and I can't believe this is something I'm actually saying. Howard Menger was known as Alan in the book, but Alan, when he was a Saturnian, was known as Adono. And this is how it goes in the story that Alan is telling. Alan, who was previously Adono, but is currently Howard, is telling Marla, who was really Connie. Adono is Howard, is what I'm saying. Good grief, this is confusing. When Adono took his leave of Marla, he was disheartened. He had found a mate, and now he must leave. Marla smiled through her tears. When will we meet again, my love? I don't know. I must continue on this mission to planet Earth. But someday, somewhere, I will find you again, and we will be together. Adono almost gave in to Marla's silent pleading, but finally he gently and firmly kissed her and walked toward the waiting craft. Tor was impatient to take off. Come on, Adono. We'll find new mates. Some Earth's women are beautiful, I understand. Adono was not listening. He was thinking of the one he had left and his promise to find her again. Marla was saddened. Her mate was gone. But soon, she was happy again. Very happy.
0: It is so simple. I shall volunteer too, and go to Earth on a mission. There I will seek the one I love.
2: Aw, isn't that sweet? She's going to go get incarnated on Earth and steal a guy from his wife. So, if this was confusing to you reading it, or listening to it, Imagine how it was when people were reading it in 1959 who had maybe very little conception of how the contactee thing even worked or were not familiar with ideas about reincarnation or any number of other things that would have been confusing in these two, this sort of matched pair of books. Even TV's Jackie Gleason was confused. Here's a clip of Gleason and Gray Barker, talking about it on Long John Nebel's radio show from November 16th, 1959. I've cleaned up the sound as best I can, but you may need to listen carefully.
1: I, I know that... Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask, John... You go ahead, Jack, please. Uh, I wonder what it does to Howard Menger's ego to uh, realize that he is married to a woman who was married to a Superman before he married her. Well, uh, Marla Baxter, that's it's a pen name, a pen name uh, doesn't claim to be a woman from another planet. No, that she is. was in love with a Saturnian uh, man, so she said. Well, that was Howard Menger in another incarnation on it the Beat uh, yes. that, Jackie. Fight that. We have to understand <laughs> these Isn't things. is it strange that a man with such a background ends up on this earth painting signs on oil cloth? Well, uh, apparently, if we can believe his narrative, his job is to tell us, you and I, and everyone else, the story of the space people, and it just happened to be a common man that they picked, after all the story goes that the space people have contacted, now I don't go along with this, the story goes they have contacted very important people. Well, now, Greg, look at it this way. Why would a space person contact anyone?
2: Why would a space person contact anyone? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's a question we don't really have answers to. But um, that little clip, I love that because, you know, Jackie Gleason was really up on his UFO stuff, but he was not happy with Gray Barker sort of pushing outlandish contact details. And he sort of picks up this whole, you know, well, what does it do to Howard Menger's ego that his wife's first husband was this some sort of Superman on Saturn? And then poor Gray Barker has to sort of say, well, that was really Howard Menger in a previous life. It's, it's good stuff. So in his book, Menger does spend some time on the social and political organization of the space people, as well as the various stories of nutrition and health and incarnation and things like that. They do not have authorities or government officials of any kind. They live in peace and harmony and everyone knows what his or her particular talent is so that they work at that particular job and they love their work. They live in small communities built in the forests and close to natural surroundings. They do not denude the land of all trees and shrubs and then build boxes. Their communities are kept small, usually no more than a few thousand people. They are spread out and decentralized. I'm going to quote from my book, Extraterrestrials and the American Zeitgeist now, which I hate doing. But I like how I wrote this there, um, and I like it better than I did any of the ways I tried to paraphrase it while I was uh, prepping this episode. While most of the contactees focus on the geopolitical and military implications of the Cold War, and Menger does address this, he also uniquely addresses here the urban sprawl and homogenization of American suburbia, as well as the struggles of Americans in the workaday world, pining away at jobs they neither loved nor were suited for. In this brief section, Menger echoes books of the time such as The Organization Man and The Crack in the Picture Window, which critiqued the stultifying nature of stereotypical American suburban life in the early Cold War era. Menger also devoted about a quarter of From Outer Space to You to the subject of nutrition, a trenchant topic in that age of increasingly processed foods and the emergence of the TV dinner. Unusually for the contactees of the 50s and 60s, Mencher more or less recanted his story barely a year after From Outer Space to You was published. In 1960, he appeared on television with Long John Nebel, and in his 1961 book, The Way Out World, which I heavily recommend, Nebel describes the event in the following way. Howard Menger said nothing and unsaid most of what he had originally claimed. The show was a disaster. The show was sensational, all depending on your point of view. Where he had once sworn that he had seen flying saucers, he now felt that he had some vague impression that he might have, on some half-remembered occasion, possibly viewed some airborne object. Maybe. Where he had formerly stated that he had been to the moon, he now suggested that this had most likely been a mental impression of the other side of his consciousness. In other words, Howard Menger backed up and backed up until he fell into a pit of utter confusion and finally sank forever into the waters of obscurity. Menger continued to work on free energy devices through the end of his life, but never again wove the elaborate contact details that won him notoriety in the first place. Now I say more or less recanted because Menger had a number of stories about this. In a book called The High Bridge Incident, um, which combined both of the Mengers' previous books with some updated information, the mengers attempted to set out exactly what they believed, and Howard explained things this way. Years ago on a TV program, when I first voiced my opinion that the people I met and talked with from the craft might not be extraterrestrial, it was thought that I had recanted. However, they, the aliens said they had just come from the planet we call Venus or Mars. It is my opinion that these space travelers may have bypassed or visited other planets as we are planning, but we're not native to those planets any more than our astronauts are native to the moon. He also explained that his original stories were part of an army experiment to examine public response to extraterrestrial life and contact, but offered no actual evidence for this. He and Connie would appear on documentaries from time to time. As we saw in Encounter forty eight, where we looked at the documentary Farewell Good Brothers, which featured Howard and Connie Menger fairly uh, fairly extensively, talking about the Greys, talking about fights with with government cover-up agents, and and talking very vaguely about how maybe their grandchildren or great grandchildren would know the truth about space travel and and space visitors. None of it sounds like anything we heard from what they wrote. And said back in the 1950s. Regardless of the twists and turns that the Menger's lives and stories took, they did have a long and happy life together from all accounts. Howard died in 2009 at the age of 87 and Connie in 2017. They were married over 50 years. Not bad for a relationship that started on another planet. There are some links to some Menger related materials in the show notes, including some of his music, so check that out. A Song of Saturn had lyrics by G. H. Van Doren and music by Howard Menger and was arranged, produced, recorded, and brutalized by the Chiso Media Radiophonic Workshop, including uh, me and Nelson Sanat and Roberta Evangeline Straith. The Saucer Life, Encounter 55 did feature Roberta Evangeline Strath as the voice of Marla Baxter and as a reproduction of Chizomedia LLC. Chizomedia, working for the good of mankind, along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.